Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion posted each Tuesday during the season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Now let's meet Tuesday's panelists. A WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports, also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC, Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, natural natural recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of WeRSC's Friday's Pour Down video show and Five Things video show, which is posted on YouTube and WeRSC.com after each and every football game, USC's home and away. He's a graduate of USC, Eric McKinney, a former William Jewell college defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC.com column, Musings with Arledge, and the well-received Musings with Arledge solo video edition, a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge, and a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious, not so obvious, from the press box, IMHO Sunday, and the WeRSC.com travel guide, and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Huddle, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Huddle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers a limited-time-only silly season sale, which means premium access for just $1 for one month or 50% off your first-year annual subscription. Again, this is a limited-time promotion. Also, don't forget our YouTube promotion for just $1 for up to two months. Use code USC1 when you sign up. If you're not already a full-time premium subscriber, you won't want to miss the USC football website that really does tell it like it is. All right, kicking off the first quarter of the huddle by reminding fans that USC's bowl destination and opponent will be officially announced this Sunday on ESPN. Check your local listings for viewing time in your area of the country. So, panel, the regular season has been completed. First, let's critique in this quarter the 2023 offense, then follow up your answers with that with what you think the Trojans need on offense to make the offense competitive in 2024, which will be their first season in the Big Ten. So, Mark, analyze how did this offense go? What does it need to go in 2024? It's all yours. So, it started out pretty good, you know, Considering the competition, you know, Lincoln Riley told us it was they were the number one scoring offense in the country uh, at the halfway point. At the uh, when they crossed the finish line, they were I don't know what the fourth best. They were still scoring forty two points per game, but it looked nothing like last year. Uh, I, I guess the best way to describe it would be average, uninspiring, um, lack balance. It just it it lacked an identity. I guess is the best way to describe it. And when you have the Heisman Trophy winner, you know, we refer to, you know, Caleb Williams as Superman. 
your offense shouldn't lack an identity. It should be able to do what it wants, how it wants, when it wants. And it felt like they would call plays to, you know, kind of test their own ability. When the running game's working, let it work. You know, if you got 100 yards in the first quarter against Utah's run defense, you're doing something right. Continue doing it. Don't stop doing it in the in the second quarter. So I think that's what hurt USC's offense the most. Um, the, obviously, you know, I've, I've talked about this throughout the season. I wasn't a big fan of the, the tempo that they ran at, uh, the substitution pattern. So I, I want to say part of it was play calling. A lot of it was the execution on the field. I mean, the amount of penalties, the lack of discipline. Look, let's just call it what it is. The offensive line did not have a good season. So um, I guess I can answer that question right now. They need to improve there. They need to find somebody in the transfer portal that's ready to plug and play at left tackle um, and make sure Elijah Page is ready to take over that spot if that's where he's being groomed to take over. So for me, it was just it just felt like knowing what USC's defense was providing USC's offense. You know, the whole team. Sometimes it felt like Lincoln Riley was caught between that rock and a hard place. Do I call the offense this way this game? Do I call the offense this way in that game? I'm still trying to figure out how you only scored two offensive touchdowns against each of your rivals this season. Good point. I mean, it's it's really hard to put your finger on what went wrong with the offense this year, but something didn't click, and I get it. The offensive line wasn't as good as the previous year, but, you know, Caleb putting the ball on the ground, Marshawn Lloyd putting the ball on the ground, they just didn't feel comfortable in their own skin. Well, Eric McKay, your analysis of the 2023 offense and what do they need for 2024? They need a better defense. They need to not feel like they need to score nine points on every offensive drive. Uh, and you could feel that that really ate at them and put pressure on them from the very beginning of the season once they started to play kind of tougher teams. And it was obvious that they were going to have to score 45 points every game. The second thing is the offensive line. You can't be sitting there game 10, game 11 – hoping to to gel still on the offensive line and, and figure out what that issue is. It's a struggle to bring in so many different starters who have played in different systems. You, you think that experience helps you, and it might, but you've got to find a way to let it help you. I, I think that part of what Mark's talking about, the, the play calling and the feel and the disjointedness, I don't know if anybody and the offensive linemen included this year trusted the offensive line to be the the push of the offense. Uh, there was a much better sense last year that those guys knew what to expect from each other. And, and obviously, because they'd played so much football together, this line was up against it in having guys out and hurt and in and out and not a ton of depth. And they hadn't played a lot of snaps together and it just never came together. And when, when you're an offense that needs a really good offensive line and your offensive line never comes together, the offense is going to look a lot like it did this year. So skill positions, quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, whatever, the offensive line. The the offensive line needs to come together for 2024 just in a way 
that it didn't as a cohesive unit in 2023. And then you can do a whole lot more offensively. Okay. Chris Arledge. Yeah. Obviously the offensive line has to get better. And and most importantly, they have to get better in the run game. If the run, if you can run the ball consistently, that's going to open up the play action pass game. And, and USC will have no trouble throwing the ball no matter who they have a quarterback next year, if they can run it. Um, the other thing is, though, it, they need to be able to make plays within the offense, within the framework of, of the play that's called. That became very difficult for USC this year. You would have, you know, you'd make some plays in the run game um, uh, where, where you blocked it and you ran it right. But in the past game, it seemed like so often it was Caleb just running around playing on the playground. And, and he's good at that, right? I mean, he's as good as anybody you'll ever see doing that. But that is not, that is not a sustainable practice against good teams consistently. And, and, you know, there are all kinds of reasons for that. The offensive line wasn't very good at pass protection a lot of the time, not, especially against good fronts. Uh, maybe the receivers weren't uh, doing a good enough job running their routes. But some of it was just that that's the way Caleb Williams likes to play. And... There's a reason that he throws very few picks. Caleb Williams is not a gunslinger. He does not throw into tight windows where he may get intercepted. He may read something badly uh, occasionally. But he's a for a guy who, who uh, is known as a big play guy, and he is, he's actually relatively conservative with, with his throws. And that's part of the reason that, that he played the way he did. Because if a guy's running a slant and he has a narrow window, he won't throw it. Most of the time, instead, he decides to run around and, and see what happens downfield. But against good defenses, that's not going to work often enough. So that's part of it. I, I don't think USC has to worry about that being fixed because whoever they have there next year is going to know they can't be Caleb Williams. But that will help the offense a lot as well. Um, and <laughs> and just some good old fashioned discipline. I mean, the, the, this was a team that wasn't very disciplined on both sides of the ball, and and football requires that you have to you have to know your assignment, you have to perform your assignment, you have to do it consistently. Because if you have one or two guys on each play that aren't doing well, uh, then you're going to be in trouble. So those are the things. But if USC just gets better up front, they're going to score a boatload of points. Whoever's at quarterback, whoever's at running back. Lincoln Riley's teams score lots of points every year. And if USC's offensive line is a strength at all, they're going to score over 40 a game next year. Of course they will. That's not, that's not really a question. All right. Well, I guess I have a different perspective in some of the areas. Uh, not that I'm disagreeing per se, but I, I was, I was disappointed in the offense, both performance wise. I think you've already mentioned execution I did not like some of the play calling. The biggest thing that really bothered me was just how much from the 6-0 and start to the, what, five out of six game losses, how defenses really seemed to really, the good teams, which were the second half of the schedule, were able to deal with the SC offense. I never thought that Lincoln Riley was in a, quote, rhythm for four quarters uh, I didn't think they were overly imaginative. I, in a lot of ways, the SC offense reminded me of a basketball team with a shooting point guard. The rest of the team kind of stood around to see what it was he going to do. Nobody 
you know, screen and released or did anything, which affects, of course, you know, you better have a good defense uh, if you're going to have a four shooting point guard. But the, the point being to me was, I think there was a lot of problems. They were never on the same page. And I think whatever this, those defensive coordinators were doing week after week after week, they figured it out. Now, going to the to uh, next season, I'm not at all uh, concerned uh, about them scoring points against the San Jose States and some of the other ones. I am concerned when you're going to have a quarterback that doesn't have the agility of Cave uh, Williams being in the Big Ten with looking at the schedule. Uh, I have nothing against Miller Moss. I think he's a he's a very workmanlike quarterback. Could be really a good quarterback. But I just have a lot of trepidation about the offense playing in the Big Ten. Well, we'll find out when they play LSU. I'm sure we'll get a, a a good side on that one. But there's a lot of things that they've got to get fixed. I think the thing that bothered me as well, and I think Mark brought this up earlier, and I, I totally agree with this. They took offensive linemen from other schools that appeared to have played other positions on the offensive line and tried to make them a different, in other words, a right tackle play left guard, maybe a center. I mean, I know that Dietrich was going to play be a center. Would he have been better as a guard? Well, may, I'm sure that they have a better eye than I do. I wasn't in practice. Uh, but there was a lot of, like, changing that I didn't know for the change for the sake of change. Uh, and, boy, I tell you, the second half, the, the offensive line really – uh, I think there were some disappointing players who think they're going to the NFL that should not go to the NFL along that offensive line. I'm talking about underclassmen. So we'll see. Here's so a, that being said, you know, here's yeah. what you know about the offensive line. And this goes back to the very beginning of the season. And I, I started talking about this during, you know, around spring camp. The fact that they were putting Jonah Monheim at left tackle tells you all you need to know about where they felt comfortable with the rest of their offensive line. They knew it was going to be a struggle this year. I just don't think they knew it was going to be this big of a struggle. Maybe not. Maybe not. All right, fans, ever been caught up in a last-minute ticket frenzy? The stress, uncertainty, it's crunch time. You don't need it, but guess what? There's a game-changing solution. It's called Game Time. Imagine this, effortless ticket buying for all your favorite sports, music, comedy, theater, events. No more frantic searches. Game time is your ultimate ticket, buddy. It sure sounds good to me. You want some perks? Well, how about incredible deals on last-minute tickets and a rock-solid best price guarantee? Say goodbye to ticket anxiety and hello to the sheer joy of being in the moment. Trojans' regular season has been completed, and now they await their bowl assignment, which will be announced in the near future. That's going to be this Sunday. Once that bowl of destination has been established, check out Game Time. For the best value for the Trojans bowl game. A reminder, you can also check out Game Time for the best ticket values for USC basketball games at the Galen Center. Check out Game Time tickets after watching or listening today's Inside the Trojans Huddle. And aside from USC tickets, again, you can also head to Game Time for Rams, Chargers, Lakers, Clippers, and tickets to all your favorite L.A. teams. And don't forget those concerts as well. Flash deals, easy access, seat view, images, Unbeatable best price guarantee, event protection. Game time has it all from sports to rock concerts. So here's the deal. Head to GameTime.co. That's GameTime.co. That's co, not .com. And download the app. Create an account. Use code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Ready to dive in? 
As for buying tickets, it's easy as tapping on your phone. Tickets are sent to your phone. Again, download the GameTime app, create an account, use code Trojans for $20 off. Terms apply. Create an account and redeem code Trojans for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, panel, here we go. Second quarter, we did a 2023 Trojans offensive analysis in the first quarter, so here we go in the second quarter. Panel, critique, if you will, the 2023 defense and then follow up your analysis with what the Trojans need on defense to have a marked improvement in 2024. Let's start off with a defensive person that knows what it's all about. Chris Arledge, let her rip. Geez, I'm not sure where to begin, actually, with this one, because it's not like the defense had some strengths and some weaknesses uh, the way the offense did. Um, There were huge problems everywhere. Here's what I think. I I think that you need a massive upgrade in talent, number one. USC didn't have enough good players. Um, The secondary was a disappointment all year. And you need, I don't know if you can find another Bear Alexander, but you need, you need some other elite guys up front. So you need that. You need, uh, you need some of these younger players to grow up in a hurry. Tackett Curtis needs to, he needs to be what we expected him to be next year. Uh, and I think that's probably true of Elijah Hughes and Sam Green and, and Christian Pierce and some of these other guys. Uh, USC doesn't really have a few years to wait for these guys to be good. They have to be good now. Uh, obviously USC is going to get a new defensive coordinator. I think <laughs> I, I think I think a, a little bit less complexity and a little bit more fundamental soundness is probably in order. It, it, USC just had way too many guys that didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. Um, part of that was that I think some of the assignments didn't make a lot of sense. But you you have to um, you have to know where to line up because if you don't know where to line up, you can't make a play, and you have to really know your assignments. You can play fast, and they they couldn't play fast because I think they were wondering. The last piece, and and this is this is hugely important. You have to stop the run. You have to do it, and if you have to commit bodies, then you commit bodies, right? I mean, it would be nice if everybody could stop the run just with just with four down linemen and two linebackers. That would be great if you could do it. USC couldn't do it last year, but they still insisted on trying. And and I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why. You, you cannot let teams run the ball for 6, 8, 10, 12 yards of carry all game. You can't. It's impossible to win that way. With a passing game, at least you have a chance. Maybe you get a pick. Maybe you get a sack. Maybe you get a hold. But if all you have to do is toss it to the tailback for 11 yards every carry, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing that can be done. And and probably Alex Grinch's biggest failing, and I know that it's hard to identify just one, but probably his biggest failing is that he simply wouldn't commit to stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass either. You might as well put the bodies in there and stop the run. But he wouldn't do it. Whoever they have there next year has to do that. You have to make the other team one-dimensional. You cannot make it easy on them. Uh, you have to stop the run. So hopefully they'll have somebody come in who understands that. I always thought every defensive coordinator understood that. It wasn't until the last two years where I thought maybe there was one guy who's making seven figures a year who doesn't get that you have to stop the run before you can do anything else. 
so I hope they do that. If they don't do that, we're in for a long season, especially in a conference where everybody likes to run the ball. Mark? Yeah. You, you hate to say, especially when it's a team you cover and a team you, 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 you silently root for, that they sucked on defense because you don't want to say that about the players individually, but that scheme and Chris, he was just talking about the whole, you know, this, this entire time, that scheme sucked. There's just no other way to say it. It was terrible. Um, you know, the reason why they're running for six, eight, 10, 11 yards at a pop is because the scheme sucked. You've got two guys on the defensive line. You got, you got guys guarding grass off the line of scrimmage. And those are your linebackers and defensive linemen. It's just a weird combination of what are you trying to do and go do it. Uh, yeah, you can bring in more better players. They definitely need that. But at the same time, they're, they brought in better players and it didn't improve. So, you know, it, that, that age old question is it the Jimmies and the Joes or the, versus the X's and the O's. I think in this case, USC had enough Jimmies and Joes to do the job. But whoever was, you know, playing checkers, and his name was Alex Grinch, couldn't even get that accomplished. Uh, so, yeah, you need one or two more Bear Alexander type of players. I thought we saw improvement at the rush end this year. Um, Jamil Muhammad seemed to take over that role. And the biggest thing that I want our next defensive coordinator to do, you know, Chris talked about stop the run, obviously, is you know, get the guys – to, you know, they should weigh what they should weigh. Corey Foreman shouldn't come in and be asked to drop 30 pounds, and then you're going to put him back on the defensive line. Something there doesn't make sense. I don't want a 230-pound defensive lineman. That's not what he was brought here to do. You know, yeah, guys have to step up. You know, recruiting right now is, on the defensive side of the ball, is, is really challenging, especially until they they name their new defensive uh, defensive coordinator. So if we're not going to be getting homegrown help that we get to develop, that means you're going back to the transfer portal. And that hasn't been the band-aid that we were hoping it was going to be. It's great that Jamil Muhammad said he's coming back. I think Mason Cobb is leaning that way, or did he say? I, I don't know if he's actually said he's coming back. But they need help. Um, that's secondary. I, you don't want to you don't want to pile on, but it just kept getting worse and worse as the season went along. You know, Eric always brought up Christian Roland Wallace. We weren't bringing up any other name in that secondary that played well. So I don't know. Maybe Eric has another name he wants to contribute on the positive side uh, because I'm 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 looking for positivity. The Russians played better. You saw a little bit more push from the defensive line, especially when Bear Alexander was in the game. But other than that, there was nothing that I would write home to mom and dad about as far as our defense. Nothing. Well, uh, Eric, Mark uh, challenged you to come up with some names here, so maybe you will uh, at some point, but uh, give us your overall thoughts. They need to flush everything about the last two years on defense. And, and I don't mean all the individual players, but whatever you were trying to do is done. You bring somebody else in and, and you start with what you have because what you have is fine. What you have is fine. I, I don't think that that you can list the top 10 
defensive players and put them up against some of the top 10 defensive players that we're going to see in the playoffs or, or in these uh, conference championship games. But we said it coming into this year, there are enough guys on this defense that you can put something together and be be fine. Be fine defensively for what you have or should have offensively. I did a story on Monday about and, and just looking at kind of the rankings where USC ended up offensively, defensively, special teams at the end of the regular season. You go down the key defensive rankings and it doesn't it doesn't even matter what they are i mean it's it's yards it's points it's all that kind of stuff 123rd 123rd 118 117 111 121st i mean it's just it's in every single thing the best stuff they did was sacks and tackles for loss and every one of them came against teams that didn't have offensive line when they got challenged by teams with good offensive lines, they couldn't do anything. So what do you need to fix? You need to fix all of it. And, and they talked about all the stuff that goes into it. You need to put a scheme in place where the players know or at least truly believe this is going to work if I do what I'm asked to do. The players all said the right things throughout the years, throughout the year publicly. It's our fault. We're not in the right place. All of that. You just got a sense that they played like they knew it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I do because this isn't truly going to work. And I talked about the offense feeling playing like they felt like that also. And so I think you've done, you've clearly made the biggest move you're going to make on defense in terms of improving. And that's just getting somebody else in there to run the show in, in a different way. So do you need to add guys? Sure. Do the guys need to get better? Sure. They've, they've made the biggest step. But but I think the key thing, too, and I, I probably should have started with it, Lincoln Riley's got to buy in on that side. You need to feel like defense is important to this program. And it's not just lip service. It, it's a true feeling. There were so many times in, in post-game press conferences or during practices or whenever where you could tell Lincoln Riley felt comfortable kind of taking his offense to task and he would kind of shield the defense or when he was asked about the defense would then flip it back to the offense and it just gave this sense of he's comfortable knocking the offense because he's in control of the offense and you got to feel in control of both sides of the ball. I mean, all, all three, right? And and I think that there is a sense of that this offseason. You just want more buy-in that the defense doesn't like what we're saying. It doesn't just have to show up and be in the 50s. Put together a, a great defense. Put together something on that side where it can carry you for a season, I know people don't really expect that of Lincoln Riley because of his history and because he's he's so involved offensively. But as a head coach, I think you've got to I think you've got to get there. You've got to stretch yourself to be able to have a program that is equal offensively, defensively. And honestly, if I'm picking a side, give me a defense that you can take on some of these road trips and against some of these big time programs that you're going to have to play. Yeah, you know, I I think that you could almost take any negative adjective, horrifying, terrible, 
the worst ever, and they were the worst ever, basically. If you go by stats and that sort of stuff, I, I think there's so many issues on the defensive end of the, of the spectrum for this team. I didn't see players develop. Take a guy like Anthony Lucas. Did he do anything? Anything? Uh, compared to what you thought he would, you know, we heard five star coming from Texas A&M. Okay. So that, that there was a lot of hope there. Uh, I thought that Bear Alexander, when he was good, he was really good, but he was inconsistent. Uh, there was missed tackles. Uh, I think the thing that started, uh, pulling out what was left of the hair on my head was, uh, just watching them try to get in the right formation for what they were attempting to do. Guys were signaling this, that, and the other thing. Well, if, if waving your arms and all that is saying we're communicating, it looked, it didn't look that way. It looked like guys were confused. Uh, just fundamentally, uh, things were bad. I mean, it was just everything. Uh, and I don't think that they were all that more talented. And I'll tell you why. I, I think, you know, this year they, you know, they, they had to play Oregon and Washington. Last year's team didn't have to play Oregon and Washington. In fact, the only team that really last year I thought was a sensational win. I mean, the Oregon State game was exciting. Uh, Caleb's, uh, you know, junior year, but really, I mean, this year, it, it was just like, it was, it was incredible to watch this defense. Now, that being said, it's already been buried. It's over. One more bowl game to go. Um, what do they do for 2024? They're going to be in a much more difficult place. Chris hit the nail right on the head. They're going to be going up against smash mouth football. And that's the first thing you better be able to do is stop people. And you're going to have to have some big guys. I don't think that just going in the transfer portal is going to be a gigantic help. I think you have to develop players uh, from freshmen all the way in your system. To me, they wasted two years of this program to end up going, okay, uh, we're going to now have a new defensive coordinator. Uh, we didn't recruit very well on defense. Why? Because there's the perception that Lincoln Riley is this uh, offensive person that doesn't give a damn about defense. And he should know that. And he's got to make a home run hit. We don't know who he's going to pick. You know some of the names out there. I know that our listeners know who some of the names are. But it's got to be such an incredible credibility shot in the arm by who they pick so that they take the spotlight off of uh, Lincoln Riley and his inability to deal with defenses. So I don't know what they're going to do. I wish I had the magic answer, but there's so many areas that should have already been being developed through the first two years of the program. And now they're going to, what, reach back uh, to um, the transfer portal. I And I've said from the word go, the transfer portal, that's good if you're going to stick in one guy, maybe two, but there's a reason why guys go in the transfer portal. A lot yeah. of reasons. In my opinion. Oregon's defense looks pretty good this year. These last two years, they hit the transfer portal pretty hard. I mean, people think USC is the only team that really cleaned their roster out. Look up north. Go check out how many numbers they moved. And and Mark, and not to, to disagree with you at all, but to to put you on the spot, why why do you think that was? It works for them, and it doesn't work for USC. You said it at the very top of this segment. Simplify your defense. It's I, I, could, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Less is more. Less is more, and I think that's an excellent point. All right, uh, fans, uh, USC football. Reminder that following the conclusion of each and every home game, 
away game. We know the season's done, but we're going to have a bowl game coming up. We'll bring you five things, a timely analysis from moderator and we are a Seattle in chief, Eric McKinney, along with myself and Mark Culkin. We'll be there for the bowl game to give you analysis with that. So with that little promo, halftime. Well, we've finished the Pac-12 regular season. It's been completed. Washington will meet Oregon Friday night in what should be a really great game in Las Vegas. Uh, 5 p.m. game will be shown on ABC. Now, in terms of the regular season standings, uh, it finished as follows, and I'll try to go through this very quickly here. Uh, Washington, of course, finished, you know, first. They're number four. Uh, it's college football uh, playoff. Uh, number two finished the regular season, obviously, Oregon Ducks, number six in the CFP. Number three, CFP, number 15, Arizona. Number four, CFP, number 16, Oregon State. Number five, Utah. Number six, USC. Number seven, Cal Bears. Number eight, UCLA. Number nine, Washington State. Number 10, Arizona State. Number 11, Stanford. And number 12, Colorado Buffaloes. So, panel, taking a look at its entirety, what you thought would happen, what didn't happen, your impressions on the final Pac-12 regular season standings, which Pac-12 team surprised you, which team disappointed you the most, and any other thoughts and observations that come to mind. So, Eric, you've taken a look at the final standings of the regular season. What are you thinking? What do you see? Well, USC stands out from where I thought they'd finish. Uh, but uh, other than that, so Arizona, I, I was looking up my uh, my preseason poll. So I had Stanford, Colorado as the bottom two. Sorry, Stanford, Colorado, Arizona State as the bottom three. That's when it ended up being there. I had Arizona really low. I I am really impressed with what Jed Fish, Giant Danson have done uh, at Arizona, just in terms of getting getting better and better throughout. And and who knows if they make that switch uh, to Noah Fita earlier in the year where they are at this point, he, he really took off. Um, so I, I had USC at the top and then Washington, Oregon in that order, Utah, Oregon state. I had up, up in the top five also uh, UCLA Cal at, at six, seven. So I USC dropping way down and, and Arizona going way up are, are really the two that, that stand out. Chris. Yeah. Eric already got the answer, right? I mean, they, those were the two biggest surprises. I, I don't know that we need to talk a lot more about USC. Nobody expected them to be in the middle of the pack. Um, Arizona does, does deserve more talk though, because it's not just that they played well in one games, but the way they played really impressed me. Um, Jed Fish has done with Arizona what we're still hoping Lincoln Riley can do with USC, right? He's still, he's instilled a toughness in that program. And <laughs> those guys, those guys hit, they were physical. They, um, uh, on both sides of the ball, I was impressed. That was it. That's a good football team right now. And, and, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to, to be next year, obviously, because um, these things change year by year. And I don't know whether Jed Fish is going to prove himself to be a great coach over time. But that was a fantastic job he did. And I think, and I think that's a team that, that could beat anybody else in the conference today other than probably Oregon. I think they're that good. So 
that was a huge surprise for me. Yeah, did you? I maybe you mentioned it. Your disappoint was it the disappointing team? Was that the Trojans or am I? I mean, how how could it be anybody else? Yeah, yeah. There is no other answer for that. Yeah, can't you tell? Chris is all broken up about UCLA's loss to Cal. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm not broken up. I predicted it last week, in fact, um, and predicted that Chip would be fired as a result. I'm still waiting on that. I think it's coming. Uh, they're keeping him. Chip's Chip's sticking around. That USC win bought him some some more time. It's all you need to do if you're if you're a UCLA coach. You just beat USC every once. Oh, wait a minute. Wait. wait. Since, since, since Eric brought that up. You don't think that the Cal loss doesn't put them back in pre-USC uh, victory mode? That uh, they well, it they, should, but they already announced that they're keeping him. When did they announce it? Right before we came. I mean, I guess I guess reports came out right before we started started recording. But oh, okay, I hadn't seen that, so I'm so I'm wrong. That's okay. I can't say I'm not angry, you know. But whatever. That's that's a good point. All right, I'll make mine short and sweet. Uh, no doubt Arizona did a fantastic job. Uh, all I kept thinking was every time Teratoa McMillan keeps catching passes and, you know, I watched both of them when they were at Servite High School. You know, there's such a thing as winners. I mean, if you see Fafita on the field, he's really small. I mean, he's really small and he played like he was six foot five. You know, kudos to them. Fish, you know, I, you know, it's kind of funny. Here they are. They're going to go to the Big 12, and maybe that's a break for USC in some ways. I don't know. I don't think SC will be scheduling Arizona in the preseason anytime in the future at this point. But, yeah, USC was a complete disappointment. How could you possibly have the College Football Player of the Year returning, right, a high school and you end up sixth uh, in the conference? That is absolutely uh unproductive but i don't want to get into it any longer uh fans if you strongly we strongly encourage those of you watching inside the trojan settle on sites like youtube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons it's greatly valued appreciate it. it's free you can also listen inside the trojan settle on many available podcast sites and be sure to check out wersc.com and become a premium subscriber all right Kicking off the second half, third quarter. It's time for the Big Ten Lightning Round. Panel, respond to the following 10 questions with quick responses. We'll go in this order, Mark, Eric, Chris, and myself. Question one, yes or no? Lincoln Riley should give up his play-calling duties for 2024. Mark? For 2024, no. Eric? No. Chris? No. All right, I say no, but you might have had to think about it a little bit. I didn't. Two. Uh, yes or no? Given the choice, Lincoln Riley should hire a good college defensive coordinator over a good NFL defensive coordinator. Mark? Yes. Eric? No, as long as that first adjective is correct and it's good, I don't care where he comes from. Chris? I prefer a college guy um, <laughs> because I think the offense is a little more diverse and I'd like a guy who uh, who is used to recruiting – but if you get a good uh, NFL guy, he's going to be all right. So it's it's a it's a weak preference. Yeah, you could look at UCLA and say, look what they did. They brought a guy out of the NFL, worked well for them. Um, NFL guys can't beat Cal, though, I'm told. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to say uh, I would rather have a college one over an NFL one because there's it's such a different 
game, recruiting, the whole thing. So, all right, question three, yes or no? Lincoln Riley will go to the transfer portal, bring in a quarterback for spring ball. Mark? He probably will, but he should. And I explained why earlier in my column. Right. Eric? I'll tell you what, if he goes once, he may have to go two or three times uh, based on what may shake out if you bring one in. But just for numbers, yeah. I mean, if, if again, we all expect Caleb Williams to go. If you want four scholarship quarterbacks, then you need one. Chris? Yeah, I think he probably does. All right. I, I say that he does, but I'd like to know how that's going to affect uh, Miller Moss and uh, – and uh, Nelson there, I, I think that's that that's a little bit tough, but I can understand if he did it. Uh, question four, agree or disagree? In a recent Q&A in The Athletic, reviewing this past season with writer Antonio Morales, Lincoln Riley said, quote, you could take three or four plays from the whole season, and I could show you a 10-win team. Uh, if that quote is accurate, what do you think about that, Mark? Agree or disagree? Yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to slightly disagree with that one. Okay. Eric? Yeah, I agree. But a 10-win team can mean a lot of different things based on those wins. But sure, if you if you want to take those teams, there's a reason you didn't make those plays, though. I mean, and that's why you're not a 10-win team. <laughs> Chris? If you're giving up over 40 points a game to every team you play with a pulse, you don't get to say stupid crap like that. The problem was not three or four plays. The problem was consistently horrible defense in a bad scheme with guys who don't know what they're doing, who can't tackle, who can't cover anybody. It was an embarrassment. And it's not okay to say things like that, which imply that USC was really good and really close and just had a couple of tough breaks along the way. They did not have a couple of tough breaks along the way. They were garbage defensively and only okay offensively for the most part. That's just, they're lucky to go to a bowl. It's easier yeah. to find three plays to make this a four-win team. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's the truth of it. I said oh. everything Chris said by just saying I slightly disagree. Yeah, no. <laughs> the kinder, gentler Mark Culkin. It's, it's, a, holiday it's an offensive Mark- statement. It's an offensive statement. You're right, statement. Chris. You're right. It, it, it's Stop straight- saying stuff like that. Go out and do your freaking <laughs> job. I mean – <laughs> Look, I, I wasn't gonna. I was gonna rip on Lincoln Riley. I, I, I'm glad. I'm still glad USC hired him. I, I, I don't think they should fire him. I know they're not going to, but that's stupid. Your team was your team was not any good when everybody expected them to be really good. Your defense was the worst defense in the history of USC football in a year where you knew that you were going to score a bunch of points. And that the and that the whole season depended upon whether or not you could play even decent defense. And you didn't play decent defense. You played no defense. And you did it week after week after week. Don't talk to us about three or four plays, Link. And it's not okay. I still slightly disagree. I do too. Well, the adverb, the L-Y ending, that's very important in slightly. Um, I, I think it's the most ludicrous comment. It's, you know, I always get crack up when, when, when I was coaching for all those many years and hearing other coaches go, we should have beaten them. And I always say, if you should have beaten, beaten them, you would have beaten them. Okay. So you, you had a chance, but you weren't good enough to do it on the scoreboard. That's all that counts. 
I think, and I'll say it again, Lincoln Riley should be very careful of these quotes. They're going to come back to bite him. And some of them are ludicrous than others. And it's almost like he's trying to bull cheese us all. Okay. And it isn't working. We have gone through, I don't know how many head coaches that give us the same. We're just that close. You know, no, you're not that close. You are what you are. You were a sixth place team in the Pac-12. It speaks for itself. And I'm sure other teams in the in the pack could have sat there and said, well, we were just as close, uh, if I'm Colorado, from being the ninth place team in the, in the conference. All right, uh, question number five, agree or disagree in the athletic uh, Q&A. Lincoln Riley also said the reality is uh, there's been massive progress in the first two years. Hell, yeah, there, hell yes, there has been. Some of it has been seen on Saturday. Some of it is happening behind the scenes. Do you agree with that? Mark Culkin. I think that's a fair statement if you peel back the layers. Okay. Uh, Eric? Yeah, I'm going to use my extra 30 seconds on this that Chris gives us for for this section of the show. Uh, I think that there's some truth to that. I'm bothered as much as Chris is bothered. Maybe I'm not as bothered as much as Chris is bothered by some of the other stuff, but I'm a little bit bothered by how aggressive Lincoln Riley is a lot in talking about how terrible things were before he got here. I agree. There were some bad years and it was not getting better, but you don't have to go back that far to have pretty good offenses with so-so defenses, but championship hopes going into seasons where where you knew this is going to be a pretty good team. If they can hold it together they can win a bunch of games. That's that's still where we are. And you're two years in, and we've talked a lot about how much you can get done in two years in terms of winning games now. And so if you look at what this season was and compare it to even the, the bad Helton seasons, it's it's not as if you can stand on this pedestal and say, well, at least we're not there. I mean, it, it's closer than than that but yeah the the idea that usc fans have been living in squalor for decades before he got here that that's something where we've we've seen this kind of team before this isn't totally new to to usc fans so i will say i think there's been progress i think if you had to guess two years in you you'd assume you'd see a little bit more from this program and I will say that again. Hey, I took Chris's time. That was I also requested to take Chris's time. Oh, well, that's why I took that into account. I did take that into account, but I think we should honor that Chris certainly deserves his portion here. So, Chris, tell I us. thought so. Look, massive progress. I'm not. I don't know that I can buy into that <laughs> into that adjective. But I am I am happy to hear that there's been a lot of there's been massive progress behind the scenes because all I get to see is Saturday. And what I see on Saturday this year looked a little bit like what Paul Hackett or Clay Helton might have put on the field. And so I wasn't that excited. But I guess since there's a bunch of secret progress that's taking place where no one can see it and no one can measure it, that I guess I'll change my mind and say that I'm really thrilled for all this 
secret progress that no one gets to see that doesn't factor into the wins and losses. So, okay, I'll agree. Well, I guess I'm just too old to, to get into trying to say all the somatic please and thank you and all the, the wonderful things. I think the second season was such a disaster that when you expect that you're going to return a program around, you don't expect where they ended up, especially, again, with an All-America quarterback, a generational talent. Uh, now, I think there has been progress uh, off, behind the scenes, probably. I've seen it, the recruiting, the way they – Kids go into the hotel rooms and the whole room is in cardinal and gold with every possible souvenir you can imagine. So I think that's, that's, that's probably a massive upgrade, but you know what? You, you can't sit there and tell us it's a massive uh, improvement. It's embarrassing to say that because look, if you look at the great teams that have come from USC, uh, okay, maybe this is an anomaly the second year, but even McKay, and I know some of you are going to just, you know, barf when I keep going back to really early USC times. But look at McKay in his third year wins the national championship. Uh, look at Robinson and what he did the first time around national championship. Look at Pete Carroll. You knew after that second year they were really going places. You don't end up and say, look at, you know, Norm Chow used to say, when you lose, say little. When you win, say nothing. Again, this is a thing that Lincoln Riley is trying to talk us into. What's the old saying? You want to believe me or your lying eyes? Uh, you know, he's bringing it on himself uh, because I think this is the first time in his brief history as a head coach that he's ever been in this position. I can't think of a worse position to be in than to have this situation in Los Angeles or New York where you have this giant media mass and this competition. Uh, I hope he can get it together, but I am really concerned after this second year that uh, massive progress. No, no, you got a lot of work to do, dude. Uh, question six: Yes or no? He hasn't used his thirty seconds yet. I, I think we should get used to how Lincoln Riley talks. He he talks about specifics, individual things. He, he's not a big picture guy when he talks. So massive behind the scenes. You said something, Greg. Recruiting. You're not seeing the results as far as recruits, but we saw it a massive increase in their investment into recruiting. We start- facilities too, right? I mean that building. Okay, so wait, wait, we're not recruiting better, but we're spending more money to do it. Well, you got to take baby steps, Chris. And Eric, you just said it. The facilities. We saw the sign outside. Now they're they're doing that. And look, if you want to find something on the field, massive. You see, got their eighth Heisman Trophy. So. I think that's where Lincoln is when he's answering questions. He is just tunnel vision. What's in front of me right now? Oh, I saw a Heisman winner. Oh, I see new facilities. That's what's massive to him. He's he's not a big picture answer guy. At least that's uh, you know it's like political parties. They all have their talking points. I respect that. But you know the bottom. This is a uh, as Clay Helton used to say. This industry is based on productivity. Why and, are you quoting Clay Helton? Because is, I know what that has happened to this show? No, Greg, stop. What has happened to this show <laughs> that now we're quoting Clay Helton positively as as somebody with great insight that we want to listen to? Did you, did That's you? not that that right there. What you just did was not massive progress, Greg. It's the opposite. I'm going to go to my room. Call me when I'm let out of the penalty box. Uh, 
All right, let's move on here. And this transit, no, this actually transitions well. Question six, yes or no? There is a new banner outside the USC football practice field that reads, quote, coming in 2026, the new home of USC football. Do you believe it will actually be built and functional by 2026 in time for the August training camp? Mark. It will be functional. I don't know if it'll be ready for fall camp. Remember, this is USC. Okay, so now that was really nice. find a way. They see a kickstand, they purposely trip over it. Oh, so negativity. Eric? Yeah, I always take the over on construction time. Uh, so, yes, they will be using it. I don't know if it will be fully, fully. There may, there may be some Galen Center-esque look to <laughs> To some of it, but Lincoln Riley is going to live there, I think, and get get them to get this thing done as much as he can. This is look, he he stood up there at his introductory press conference and talked about the new facilities coming in. This is his this is his baby, I think. He he has wanted this since before he even got to USC. And so they're going to do everything they can to get this done by then. But yeah, it's construction. There's always something. There's always, there's always something that makes it take longer. Christopher? I'm going to slightly change the question. What's more likely to be functional by 2026? The new USC football facility, the USC defense, or Greg's internet? And I think... Oh, that was a dirty shot. How could you say that? It's not a dirty shot. You know how Oh, man, that's a low blow, Arledge. I'm just waiting to be able to take over as host again. I'm just waiting for you to shut down so I can get going. (laughs) Uh, Is it going to be ready? (laughs) What a team player. (laughs) By 2026? I don't know. I wish I wasn't so I wish I wasn't so apathetic right now about all things USC football because I know that's important. But, I mean, I just keep... I just keep seeing everybody line up and score uh, and score touchdowns every possession, and it just makes me sad. So I I'm going to say something like, "Will Lincoln Riley even be the head coach by 2026?" No, why would I say that? I think he's going to be the head coach. Okay, okay. This isn't Texas A and M. We don't we don't fire guys <laughs> and pay ninety million dollar buyouts. That doesn't happen. Touche. Question seven, which unit on either side of the ball will lose the most players before the start of spring practice by transferring out? Mark? Yeah, well, the offense is off to a fast start, so um, I'm going to say offense. Would you would you care to treat the audience that probably are not informed when you say they're off to a fast start? You're referencing to? Uh, Rayleigh Brown entered okay. the channel, uh by recording the show. All right, Eric? Uh, defense. That that's where the new coordinators coming in. You'd expect some some shake up there. Chris, definitely defense for the reasons Eric just said. He, he, defensive coordinator watches film of USC's defense, and he's going to be telling a whole bunch of guys. I don't think you have a place here. The only reason it hasn't started yet is because USC's defensive guys don't yet know where to line up in the portal. Uh, I think it will come on the defensive side as well. Question eight, yes or no, will running back Marshawn Lloyd return to USC next season, Mark Culkin? Depends if he gets an invite to one of those, uh, you know, NFL all-star bowl games, like the senior, the Reese's Bowl. 
I don't think there's anything he can gain by coming back for a year. So I'm going to say no. Eric? Yeah, I want him to, but I don't think he should or will. Chris? Uh, no, he, he won't and he shouldn't because running backs have a short shelf life. You can't take uh, you can't take too much abuse. And the NFL scouts have already seen what he can do. That guy's a really good player who's going to have a good career. Yeah, and I think that Marshawn Lloyd was quoted uh, early on saying that when he talked with uh, Caleb Williams that they would both go to the NFL together. And so I, I don't back off of what he was saying, and I don't think he has anything to gain by coming back uh, next season. So if you go, good luck, Marshawn. We wish you, you were with us longer, but you certainly showed us that you were a really good player. All right, question number nine. Yes or no, when it's all said and done, the Trojans will be signed uh, playing in the L.A. Bowl on December 16th against a Mountain West opponent in SoFi Stadium. Where are they going, Mark? Probably. You say L.A. Bowl. Okay. Eric. Yeah, the Mountain West opponent feels right, but God, this season is just screaming to end in El Paso. I th- I think, and that that's that's sort of what it needs. That's the penalty, right? El Paso, the Sun Bowl. Chris, uh, I'm gonna say no. As excited as I am for that bowl game against a Mountain West opponent in a bowl that's closer to rivalry week than to the first playoff game, I think what should happen this year is not even El Paso. I think they should move it across the river somewhere in Juarez at a uh, Juarez at a broken-down high school facility. I think that's where the bowl game should be. The good news is you could get there, but you may not be allowed back, at least in one in one form or another. Look, if USC there, could inject some real interest, I think, in that bowl game. If the, if the coordinator gets here and you can make coaching changes and try to install whatever base of that is and he gets some experience coaching these guys in a bowl game, that would be – That'd be something to watch. I think that that would be really interesting. All right. Uh, I'm not so sure they're going to end up in the L.A. Bowl, so I'm going to say no. Uh, I think they will end up in El Paso. And as I've said before, uh, the people in El Paso do a great job. They're really nice people, really nice people. But I think unless you grew up and lived in El Paso – it's a really depressing place in a lot of ways, and I. I, I it might be depressing even if you grew up there, Greg. It could I don't be. know. I don't know for sure, but I put money on it. There is nothing more depressing, and just taking a look at it was when I first visited that wall with all the bob wire. Uh, it reminded me of something in Germany, East Berlin. I'm not saying it shouldn't be there, but it was depressing nonetheless. All right, um, tear down this wall, Greg says. Oh, no, that's not what Greg is saying at all. Uh, Question 10, the bonus question. Here we go. Where do you guys do most of your holiday shopping? Do you do it online or you do it in stores? Mark? Oh, definitely online. (laughs) I have zero intention of uh, looking over my shoulder every time I'm putting a bag in the car or something. (laughs) Eric? Uh, Yeah, online. I, I don't... I don't know if I could find a store at this point. <laughs> like, I, I think online, yeah. Chris, I just wait for peddlers to come by my front door and offer goods and services. <laughs> I buy them in. 
Why am I not surprised? Uh, I'll tell you, um, I do all of it online and that was, uh, I was underscored this last weekend. I went to a big gathering, family gathering at the, the Arcadia Mall and it was like unbelievably crowded for Christmas. I mean, I got so sick of trying to find a parking space. I just said, I'm going to valet the sucker. And I said, now gives me even stronger confidence to keep on online. It's the easiest way to go. So, all right. With that, it's that time. We're moving along very nicely here uh, to light the official WRSE symbolic torch in honor of lighting the torch at the Coliseum, which, of course, to those of you who have been and those of you in the Big Ten that are going to come visit us next year, between the third and fourth quarter, we light the Olympic torch. So we're doing that in our little uh, situation here. And a reminder, while this torch is burning, uh, to all you recruitaholics, don't forget to watch WeRSE.com's weekly recruiting video show, Recruiting Roundup with nationally respected Scott Schrader, the best in the business, and host Dylan Brazier. And a reminder as well to catch Friday's uh, Four Down show with moderator uh, Eric McKenney along with myself. We bring you the latest information on college, USC football, so on, so on. It's sponsored by Pick. All right, we go to the fourth quarter here. Uh, viewer questions and panel answers. Uh, we had a large amount of people, as you might add, uh, figuring that uh, based on the way things are turning out in the season, a lot of people want to speak. So we'll try to get to as many of you as we can. If there's kind of redundancy to what we've already covered, uh, we won't continue with the question, but we want to give you the credit and appreciation for writing it. So here we go. This was kind of a fresh question before, after I'd already sent the guys uh, what we we're going to talk about, but this was, I think, uh, timely. This is from Trojan Fan in Bama. Should SC say yes to Jim Leonard if they know he leaves in a year for the NFL? What do you think, guys? I'm I would. Not, I'm not a big fan of that idea. Not for one year. If you have Caleb Williams coming back, Yes. Uh, if you're playing with a rookie quarterback, Miller Moss, yes or no, is a rookie, whatever you want to call him. But yeah, no, I, I don't want to go through this process again in, you know, one year later. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't help with continuity. Yeah, there's no such thing as continuity if you're going after a big name defense coordinator. There's no reason to think you're going to be able to keep them for a long time. If, mm-hmm. if Leonard came in, and that dramatically increased USC's recruiting for the next class or two. And if USC played really good defense next year, they could find someone else to continue playing the same style of defense Leonard played. Maybe one of his assistants. I'd take it. I just want I want if if I get one year of good defense, that's more than I've had over the last twenty. I, let's get, let's you know let's get this going. By the way, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I keep yawning. It's not that I'm bored by the program. I'm not. I'm thrilled by what all three of these guys are saying. But I just haven't slept much. But I feel I feel bad because I keep yawning, and uh, everybody's watching me saying this guy's this guy's bored of his own program. I'm not. Thank sometimes you for the clarification. I, sometimes I am, but I'm not. I, well, I think in college, college football right now, you don't get to have a three-year plan. You don't get to have a four-year plan. You don't get to stash freshmen anymore. You don't get to say, well, let's bring in this coach and we know he'll be here for three to four years. You have to 
lean forward and get things done right now. You have to put together the best team you can for that year. You can't mortgage your entire future. You can't just have 85 redshirt seniors on your roster because that's the best roster for that year. But you need to get really good on defense right now. So you need to bring in the best guy who's going to give you the best results for right now and then deal with it. You could sign a guy to an eight-year contract thinking he's here forever and he's gone next year. I mean, you, you see it all the time. You, you sign a, a quarterback. Okay, he the, here's how our quarterbacks are going to go for the next four years. And you don't end up with any of them because because they all go. Coaches are the same way. If they have a good year, they're just as likely to go whether they're under contract or not. Uh, I, I would lean in, in more to, I, I don't want to see him come for one year because you got to take recruiting and, you know, SC's obviously been handicapped defensively in their recruiting by who's the coordinator. And right now, you know, everybody's kind of holding their breath who it's going to be. Uh, I will say this about Leinhardt. If, if he's the guy, spectacular resume, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to have him, but everybody says he's on a fast track to the NFL. The fact that he played, I think it was 10 years in the NFL. You know, I'm sure that's probably where he wants to go. And if he could stay within the Midwest uh, where he grew up, he's from Wisconsin, uh, I could understand that. But I'd rather see him at least have a two- to three-year contract if that's possible. Otherwise, I think, you know, if you say, hey, guess what? You can you can be under him for one year. You go, well, yeah. Nobody's going to sign a one-year contract. I mean, oh, anybody I coming in would sign, I understand would that. sign I, multi-year. Oh, I get that. But I think if he does only stay for one year, uh, that would not be worth it to me, my opinion. Question two from SC Fan in Florida. How does the new DC approach Lincoln Riley and relay that his program is soft, not only on the defensive side, and still have a good working relationship with him? SC needs bigger, faster, more aggressive, not dirty players as they move to the Big Ten or eight and four, seven and five will become routine. Thoughts? I don't think he has, I don't think he spoils his relationship with Riley if he says he wants to recruit bigger, faster, more aggressive players. And I don't think he needs to tell Lincoln Riley that this program is soft. He's going to, he's going to have, he's going to be in charge of working his guys and, and, and hopefully he'll work them hard and work them effectively. Yeah, it's my hope that whoever he hires is a home run hitter. Let him do his thing. Okay. Don't sit there. This whole idea of, uh, I'm going to spend more time with the defense is not a good look at this point in time. All right. Question three from Redondo Beach SC. Please explain why Lincoln Riley couldn't be bothered to walk across the street to the modern day versus St. John Bosco game. Was there a bigger collection of high school football talent on the same field all year? Did the game interfere with Lincoln's nap? Wow. What a cut. Um, well, is it a bad look if he wasn't at the game? Does it yeah. matter? You, 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 say, you, know. five minutes. you, you can't talk. It's to at me. the Coliseum. It's at it's it's at your stadium. It's in your house, and there are big time guys there. I, look, he's got he's got a big project going on right now, right? If he's if he's in a meeting with the guy he wants to be his defensive coordinator at that time, Walk not a problem. Not a problem if he's not here, right? If he's if he's somewhere traveling, whatever it is. I 
I mean, I, I don't have, I guess I, I don't have the recruiting calendar right now where you can go, where you can be, how much time you can spend, how many coaches can be there. They had one coach there. Dante Williams was the only guy uh, who was there. That's something where it's record something, put it on the screen, make it feel like these guys are important. And it is important that you are here at the Coliseum. You had a chance to make a, a big impact on probably a lot of guys who are going to be pretty good at football when they get to the next level. And that one felt like that one felt like a big swing and miss at that kind of thing. That, that doesn't strike me as something that if they're playing at, at Otson or in, you know, in, in one of these sec stadiums or something like that uh, feel feels like those coaches would take advantage of that, that recruiting chance. All he had was make a cameo appearance. Stand at the top of that peristyle with your arms crossed, just looking down like, this is my house. Or, you know, at the top of the tunnel, just where everybody can see, say, this is where you come down. It, you don't have to say anything. Make an appearance. He like, should have parachuted in with a game ball, I think. That would have been amazing. There you, you go. Know, ask yourself this question. Would Pete Carroll have avoided a photo op like this? Would he not been on the sidelines with his SC jacket on so that he everyone knew that SC was there, especially in the Coliseum, as you guys mentioned? Uh, It's these things that really add up. I'm not saying some guy's not going to sign with SC because Lincoln Riley didn't show up. (laughs) But think about the comment that was made by Coach uh, Negron, I think from Bosco earlier. I think it was mentioned that he said, we don't see USC guys, coaches around all that much compared to the other coaches. And that's a frightening thing. Uh, SC should never be in this position. And I hate to point back to Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll really put, for today's football program, what you should be following that template in terms of communication within the high schools in Southern California. You should not say, uh, things like in the national scope, if we win the national championship, people won't care where players are from. Uh-uh. SC has always been built inside out. If you don't get Southern California players in SC, you're going to play against them when they're playing at Oregon or Washington or Michigan or Ohio State. Then that's going to be a real problem. And it is going to be a real problem uh, with them being in the Big Ten now. Uh, and competing. It's a whole different ball game. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, question four from Jeff in Sacramento. After the season we just had, I don't have too much faith in most of our position coaches. Are there any position coaches we should keep? And who should we go after to replace our current staff? Thanks and fight on. That's from Jeff in Sacramento. Thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, comments panel? I think the new look the new DC is going to <laughs> the new DC needs to be able to bring in guys that he trusts to teach his uh, to teach his defense and and I'm fine with that. There's no position coach on the team that if I heard they were leaving tomorrow, it would throw me into a depression. I don't feel <laughs> that strongly about any of them. There may be some good coaches there. I think there are. I mean, I think Sean New is a good coach, for example. I think there are some guys that can coach. But there's nobody on that staff that – there's no Ed Orgeron on that staff, right? There's nobody that if you lose them, you say, ooh, you know, that's going to stink. That doesn't exist. 
All right. Hey, from what I've heard, these guys already know who's who's going and who's staying, and I don't think the list is really long of who's staying. It's it, it's hard for us, you know, for you know that actually go talk to these coaches. You're asking us to call them out, and say no, you don't belong to be here. That's a. We all want certain coaches to be around. They all have certain strengths, certain weaknesses. But Chris just summed it up perfectly. Let the new DC hire his own staff. And by the way, uh, Leonard, he coaches the secondary, by the way, uh, when he was defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. So it, think about that in terms of uh, who you think might go and might stay. Alex Grinch, that's what everybody wants to hear. Yep. Question five from Trojan in the Valley. Panel, if the Trojans end up playing at SoFi against UNLV, will you go to the game? And question two, are you concerned SE hasn't announced a new DC yet? Um, I'll say this, uh, I, I will go if it's at SoFi because I've never been to SoFi and just, just to see what it's like, uh, and it's local, that's not much of a problem to go. I, I will go. How about the rest of you? Yes, I will go. And yes, I'm starting to get a little concerned that they're taking this long. I'm not flying in from Dallas for that one. Not going to do it. I'll watch it on TV and I'll probably scream at my TV, but I'm not. I'm not doing it. Uh, I should have added to the second question. Am I concerned about the announcement? I will be if they don't name it this week. There will be reason to be concerned uh, because, uh, you know, you had that bye week, which I thought would really be helpful in trying to get somebody lined up. So we'll see. Anybody else want to add on that one? We move on to the next one. No, I'm with you. And end of the week, by the end of the week, if it gets into Saturday, Sunday, then, then, all right, let's move a little bit. But you, I mean, however long it takes to get the right guy. I mean, I know it's easy to say, I guess, but uh, end of the week, I think, is is when you start to hear the alarm bells a little bit. You want to flip in, you want a chance to flip any defensive commits out there before that December 20th early signing period date. You got to start, you got to, you got to set the tempo. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with that one. Uh, with USC's college football season, unfortunately, but at the same time, thankfully, over in a few weeks, after whatever toilet bowl they end up playing, what team will you move on to this winter? For me, it's LA Kings hockey. How about for the rest of you? Do you, do you move on to another sport that interests you? But yes. Yeah, transfer portal. Portal, <laughs> you got recruiting, you got USC hoops. <laughs> And then we could talk about the LA Kings. All right. Uh, I, I will move on to the baseball meetings, winter meetings. Uh, as a Dodgers season ticket holder, I look forward to spring training, but that's still a couple. How's, couple your, how's your Japanese? You you dive into that yet? Uh, let's see. Aligato. Uh, <laughs> so not great. Okay. He's never coming. That's a no. Zenichiwa. <laughs> Uh, question seven from Romy from Huntington Beach. Would you consider a former head coach for the DC? Why? Can he coach defense? Yes. Depends on the head head coach. I'd consider a former anything if they're a good defensive coordinator, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Former anything? All right. I'm not going to explore that. I was going to throw out some hypotheticals, but I was probably just going to offend everybody. I was going to say yes to all of them, right? I mean, so the the (laughs) head coach. 
the head coach for sure, because, you know, the organization, and again, because, because Riley, I think, is always going to have that offensive bent to him and, and feeling on that side. You want someone that can really take ownership and, and leadership of that side of the ball. I think it's helpful to have a bunch of former head coaches on staff. I mean, it gives you a sense of, it gives you a view of a program that you don't get if you've only ever been an assistant or a coordinator. If Greg Schiano became available in five minutes, he shoots straight to the top of my defensive coordinator list. That would be a hard one to argue with. Uh, question nine from SC Fan in South Florida. Will SC break out NIL and other cash to improve the player roster? I think they have to. Yeah, I mean, they have every year. Yeah. They they're didn't almost... have 50 for whatever club for nothing. Yeah, they're, they're going to. All right, we got two more left here, and I think they're actually pretty good questions. From Daniel in Brazil. All right, Brazil checking in. What can Lincoln Riley and USC learn from Jim Harbaugh and Michigan's football's teams, in parenthesis, winning culture, question mark? Okay, I'll start off and say I think what – I wrote Lincoln, about – What's that, Mark? I wrote about it, but go ahead, Greg. No, I, 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 I don't – I I don't know if I read what you wrote, but I would just say what did I did. You read it? In, did you write it in Portuguese, Mark? I could barely understand Spanish. You want me to go Portuguese? Come uh, on. That's that's the problem. If you would if you would translate it in Portuguese, this guy would already know. Go ahead, Greg. Thank you, thank you. Uh, what can uh, oh, we did that? Uh, no, <laughs> what they can learn from Jim Harbaugh and Michigan is physical football, because they're going to see plenty of it when when they play Michigan in the big house. You could probably uh, learn some cool stuff about how to use your staff to steal signs, right? You could learn that. Well, it goes without saying. You'd assume Hollywood could help out. We got cameras everywhere around here. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I think you can learn a lot. I, look at Jim Harbaugh is like old school, and it's it's to me when I watch Michigan play, I know you're going to be in a dog fight physically, and in order to compete with them at some point, or Ohio State, or Penn State. You gotta, you gotta be down and dirty and you gotta have men on that offensive line. Okay. And, uh, if you don't start off from there, you got big problems down the line. And when you go into the Big Ten and you add Oregon and you add Washington, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a real challenge to uh, come out on top in that league, in my opinion. SC can do it, but they have to start off getting players and commitment to that physical on both sides of the ball, in my opinion. He knows what he has on his roster, and he makes it work. He doesn't try and make them into something they can't do. And what they is, is they have an identity. When you have your head coach sitting on the couch at home, and you're able to do what you do, man, you're on auto drive. I mean, think about it. They went into Happy Valley, Penn State, and ran the ball 32 consecutive times in the second half. I mean, that's that is literally John McKay pointing to to the coach on the other side of the field and saying, we're going over the top. And they did what's that. A bigger, what's a bigger hindrance, having Jim Harbaugh on his couch or having James Franklin on his sideline? Do <laughs> <laughs> you think anyone at Michigan thought for a second about how much money they're wasting on Harbaugh if they can win those games with him not even there? I mean, it's it's the the head coach salaries – 
are that's a whole nother discussion, but a little bit wild when you when you look at that and you can get a offensive coordinator to come in and, and beat Ohio State for you. You know what you're getting with Michigan. You know what you got with Stanford. It might take he might move at a glacial, you know, speed, but he, he knows how to build a program. Might just not happen as quickly as everybody would like. He's done it almost everywhere he's been. He's got a track. It is that, right? It's it's the extra guy. It's the extra guy always gets added to the defensive line and the offensive line. And that that's where you build. The extra guy doesn't come in as a as a corner or a wide receiver. Or quarterback. Yep. Oh, and by the way, it's a public service announcement, unbeknownst to even my panel members here. I I checked into USC at Michigan, the hotels. They're all sold out in the Ann Arbor area. I should have thought about it that SC coming to Michigan is going to be a super big deal, but uh, you can still find uh, some places uh, near the airport. It's only about 30 minutes from what I read uh, to Ann Arbor. So I decided to uh, make a reservation at the holiday or the embassy suites. Just It's going to be, it's going to be a rude awakening for PAC 12 fans when big 10 teams come visit, they are, they are absolutely dialed in on travel. The first thing I heard was when Ohio State got their road trips, they have every hotel at every city they're going to. And it is, it is booked everywhere. It's, uh, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be eye opening, I think, uh, when, when these, when the Big Ten teams start coming out here and when Pac 12 teams start going back there. So a word to the panel, better find where you're going to stay within a, re- a reasonable distance from I'm uh, staying with you at the embassy suites, Greg. You know, I have your room. It's a, room it's a suite. Yeah, it's a suite. Why can't I stay there too? Because <laughs> you'll How be far drive from Detroit or Chicago. What's the big city? What's the drive? I mean, are we doing a Notre Dame type of thing? We have to take that into account. Well, you know, if you go to Detroit, because that's where you're going to land, you could all, always go take a tour of Motown, right? I'm sure that wasn't the question. You can go to Tiger Stadium or or whatever they're calling it these days. Uh, all right. Uh, final. Is that, is that all you have? Do you have any more travel thoughts? Like, are there any restaurants that you really like in the Detroit area, Greg? You know, I haven't investigated it, but I was when I think I made the reservation at three thirty in the morning because something said, you know, I should check what the hotels are in uh, you know in the in Ann Arbor, and they were all sold out. I, I was actually shocked, but then I said, well, okay, this is what happens with Notre Dame, but I don't even think Notre Dame is that booked up at this point. Does so, Clay Helton have any words of wisdom on this topic, Greg? Yes, he does. Was the Motown scene in Ann Arbor. <laughs> question 11, our final question. Trojan Mike, class of 74. Hello, panel. Love you. What you guys do, you bring it every week. Love what you guys bring every week. My question is, when did USC begin its slow decline of not having the best players in the trenches? It's painful for me to see what Oregon has become. It's apparent we have become very soft over the years. Is that because we've had head coaches that were once quarterbacks? I'm mindful that Jim Harbaugh was a quarterback, and he has brought a great physicality to Michigan. The last great physical SC teams were coached by Pete Carroll who was a defensive player back in his days. Thanks for all you do. All right. Is there a correlation to you, quarterbacks and physical line play? 
I think, look, I do think that I do think there's a correlation between hiring quarterbacks as your head coach and style of play. It's not a it's not a hard and fast rule. Uh, Harbaugh, Jonathan Smith. I mean, there are guys out there who uh, who are former quarterbacks and their teams are are focused on playing physical football. But for the most part, that's not the way it works. These former quarterbacks uh, think the game is one throwing the ball and 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 drawing up stuff uh, on the on the blackboard, the X's and O's. That's what Lincoln Riley believes. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that Lincoln Riley doesn't believe in having a good offensive line. He does, and he's had some really good offensive lines. But um, but you know, guys like guys like Lincoln Riley are big into their their tactics and uh, and, and the plays they draw. They are. Uh because it's slipping my mind here, I have a question for the panel on this one because I think some people, because he brought up Jim Harbaugh. Who is Jim Harbaugh's quarterback at Michigan? Oh, oh. right now? When he was when he was playing at Michigan, who was his quarterback? When he was playing at Michigan? Uh-huh. I, I think he was. Wasn't Jim Harbaugh the quarterback at Michigan when he was playing at Michigan? Is this a trick question? No, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I, let me rephrase this. Who was the head coach at Michigan? Oh, oh Schimbeckler. It was both. Yeah, and, and that was the point I wanted to make. That was really tricky to ask that question in a way that we could never answer it with the answer you had. Well, you know, it was I did it on purpose. You know that. It's, did you? See, I would rethink that strategy going forward, Greg. I thought it was just an innocent mistake, but now I know that you intended to do what you just did, and that's weird. Why do I feel like I'm always on a witness stand when Chris is talking to me? Could it be because he's an accomplished lawyer. Could it be? Nah. <laughs> no, but I think that Harbaugh obviously has taken the best of what he learned under Bo Schembechler, who liked to pipe the ball, you know, as much as he could and throw when it was needed. And he's taken today's game a little bit uh, and some of his own background, the NFL. And you know what? He brought physicality to Michigan to match today's era of football i think it's um it's a beautiful thing for me i like physical football so uh i i enjoy watching michigan play and i also enjoy watching ohio state so where it ended because i I think it was like two parts right talking about usc the the 2018 class i think and and beyond that if you go back and look at right that 17 class was I think five offensive linemen, five defensive linemen. There were two first round offensive linemen uh, in that class. There were a few other guys that got drafted and played a ton at USC. The defensive line all sort of contributed. If you go back and I, I can go through 18, 19, 20 classes in 18, the defensive line that you brought in uh, Trevor Trout, who ended up having injuries and, and, didn't finish his career. Abdul Malik McLean, who transferred, and Elijah Winston, who transferred on the offensive line. That was the year where you only brought in two. Justin Dietrich has played a bunch of football for USC. Liam Douglas didn't, and then it ended up transferring. Those are those were your big guys in that 18 class. And then you you go on top of it in the 19 class, and you get, I mean, obviously Drake Jackson was really really good at USC Nick Figueroa played a lot Stanley Taufo was in that class Dejan Benton in that class again if those are your kind of five six guys who play a long time on the defensive line but 
you needed a, a ton out of them and, and never quite got it. And then on the offensive line in that class, you had Gino Quinones, who again has been like a career depth guy, which is okay to add to the class, but the rest of the offensive line in that class was Jason Rodriguez. And you didn't really get anything out of him. 2020, I mean, I, we could just keep going. Again, you add a Tuli Tui Pelotu. Great. If he's your headliner and what he did at USC, that's great. Behind him, Jamar Sakona, who didn't play a lot and is now in the transfer portal. Kobe Pepe, who hasn't played a lot. Along the offensive line, that was, again, that was the, the six-man class that you wanted a lot from. And how do they develop? Jonah Monheim, again, yes, bring in a Jonah Monheim every year. Corlin Ford's not at USC anymore. Caden Steven, not at USC anymore. Casey Collier, not at USC anymore. Andrew Malek, Andres DeWork are, are depth, depth guys. That's three, that's three years of what should be your heart of this team on both of the lines of scrimmage. And that, that's what you have to show for three years of that recruiting. And that's why you had to go into the transfer portal for anyone and try to make stuff work as you did it. But if, if you want to look at why they're not there, those three classes, the choices you made on not bringing in numbers and then the misses that you had on either not keeping guys or not developing guys. But that's a that's a stark truth to look at those three classes and how it's how it's played out. You've got some big names, but not nearly not not close to enough to put together lines to play well in really in any conference. That was good analysis right there, I thought. I thought it was excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And Emmy. It's, a good, it's a good thing we had him on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. I know there was some I know there was some debate. I'm gonna take next week off. <laughs> all right. Well, a great job. Thank you to all of you that uh, wrote in to us. I hope you enjoyed our answers. We greatly appreciate it. If I can get to as many uh, as we can uh in a reasonable amount of time, uh and we have some fun with it as well. Again, we appreciate it. If you're interested in in getting us a question, go to the We Are SC members message board. Click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Subtle viewer or listener questions. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, all right, we're going to finish up this uh, with overtime. Pac-12, uh, week number 12. Uh, we're in the conference championship situation. Panel, it's overtime. Let's predict the winners in the Pac-12 uh, championship game and the other conference championship games of importance. All kickoff times are Pacific time. We'll go in order. Chris, Mark, Eric, and myself. Let's get this thing rolling. Friday, December 1st, the big one, the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas, Nevada. Allegiant Stadium, 5 p.m. ABC TV. CFP number six, Oregon versus CFP number four, Washington. Oregon opened a nine-point favorite. Who are you picking, Chris? Oregon is the second best team in the country. They are better than Washington, even though they lost to them earlier. I think Oregon wins and wins pretty easily. Wow. Mark? It depends on the health of Michael Penix. If he's ready to rock and roll, I'm going with Washington, mostly because I can't get myself to say I want the other teams going to win. Eric? Yeah, if Dan Lanning doesn't make any decisions in this game, Oregon's going to win by 17. I, I mean, if you look at how these two teams have played other teams uh, in the Pac-12 this year, it's it's 
unbelievable what Oregon has done to the teams that Washington has has struggled against. All right, I'm picking Oregon. Uh, Saturday, December 2nd, here's the series of championship games, the Big 12 championship game, Arlington, Texas, AT&T Stadium, 9 a.m. ABC, college football playoff number 20, Oklahoma State versus college football playoff number 7, Texas. Texas is a 13-point favorite. Chris? Uh, I think Texas wins this one easily, despite having Sarkeesian on the sideline. Mark? Yeah, Texas. Eric? Texas. And I pick Texas. The SEC championship game, Atlanta, Georgia, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, 1 p.m., CBS. College football playoff number eight, Alabama, versus college football playoff number one, Georgia. Georgia's a five-point favorite. Uh, Chris? Georgia wins this one. I mean, it's usually not a good idea to bet against Nick Saban, but I think that whatever it is that Saban has on on Satan, uh, he he called that in this past Saturday to get that win over Auburn. I don't think there's anything left in the tank. Mark? I, it's because of that that I think the devil wants to keep seeing Satan playing. Saban, excuse me. I, I'm going with Alabama. They're... They figured out who they are, and they're they're winning games. Good teams find ways to win games, even if you need a little bit of luck. Eric? It has to be Georgia. If Alabama wins and they find a way to stick both those teams in the playoff, I'm going to watch the Kings with that other guy that, that sent that question in earlier. That cannot That cannot happen. <laughs> Uh, I'm taking uh, the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs. Uh, ACC championship game, Charlotte, North Carolina, Bank of America Stadium, 5 p.m. ABC. College football playoff number 10, Louisville versus college football playoff number 5, Florida State. Florida State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Chris? I'm going to show how much I've been paying attention. That Florida State quarterback's hurt, right? Yes, he's done. Give me Louisville. Okay. Mark? Yeah, I'm going Louisville. FSU struggled way too much with Florida this past weekend. Eric? Yep, same. Yep, I'm going with Louisville. Uh, Big Ten championship game, Indianapolis, Lucas Oil Stadium, 5 p.m. on Fox. College football playoff number 17, Iowa versus college football playoff number three, Michigan. Michigan is a 23-point favorite. Chris? Is it also a a 23 over-under? Over, yeah. I think it's 22 is the over. (laughs) Iowa's not beating Michigan. Iowa is terrible offensively, right? Offensive. Like, it makes me angry. When I flip through the channels and I see Iowa's offense on TV, I get mad. There's just, it's, it's, they're, I don't understand what they're doing there. I don't understand why they haven't tried to adopt something over the last 10 years when they haven't been even halfway decent on offense any of those years. I don't understand it. That's a garbage game. Michigan big. Mark. Michigan, but Iowa covers. Iowa's offense has been coming alive these last couple of games. I gotta look that up. I told you I haven't been paying attention. Michigan's still going to win. They're just not going to cover 23 points. That Iowa defense is freaking legit. I mean, they are so good. Eric. Yeah, I I think uh I think the same as Mark. I think Michigan wins, but 
but less than 23. All right. I'm, I think it's going to be a, a wipeout. I think Michigan is going to be hot to trot, so to speak. Hey, does uh, everybody want to hear what Mark thinks is, is an offense getting hot? I think they, they got to 10. Chris, they, Did they get to 10 or 13. They scored 13 against that Nebraska defense. They had 15 against Illinois' defense, 22 against Rutgers. That ain't bad. Well, you don't know if there's defensive scores in that Rutgers game. That's true. 10 against Northwestern, 10 against Minnesota, 15 against Wisconsin. Do I need to keep reading this, Mark? But which way are you going? Are you going towards the end of the season or towards the front? I started at the end, and then I went back. They had higher scores at the end. (laughs) That's what I read. Well, they had a higher score. I said they got better as they went on. Can you, Chris, Chris, can you give me the math? Can you give me the math on what they need against Michigan to get to 25 points a game to get Brian Ferentz's job back? I think they need to score 200 200 points in this game, I think. They need 200, but Colkin is pretty pumped. He thinks they can get there. He really likes what he's seen from that Iowa offense over the last few weeks. I saw them scoring a touchdown. To me, that is gross. (laughs) <laughs> you know they beat they beat Nebraska thirteen ten. Nebraska's lost three games this year thirteen to ten. That is rough. We've got. I, I will say this: the beauty of this conversation is we're all going to be involved in it next year in two thousand twenty four. The Big Ten is not going to have divisions. You won't see Iowa playing Michigan, so to speak. You know, one conference uh, division versus another division. Uh, which is going to change it. I think what's really nice about this year, though, Michigan will end up playing the winner of of Washington, Oregon, in the last real Rose Bowl game, should we say, Pac-12 versus uh, Big Ten. It's going to be, it's going to end on a traditional note, Michigan versus one of the two Pac-12 schools. And I think there's something kind of melancholy and cool about it. So, uh One last time, as they say, the encore performance. Again, once again, if you've enjoyed Inside the Trojan Subtle, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out wearc.com and become a premium subscriber. Take advantage of some of those great uh, deals that's going on. Uh, That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle. Reminder to watch Four Downs on Friday for the latest on USC and college football presented by prize picks. So until next Tuesday, when we hopefully analyze the Trojans bowl opponent, uh, hopefully uh, analyze the new defensive coordinator, hopefully uh, a look at the bowl season in general, a new Big Ten uh, lightning round and all the things USC football. A big thank you again to our great panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKenney, Chris Arledge, and a special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojans Huddle. Have a great week and weekend. So until next Tuesday, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody.